Welcome to Flock Out, the official podcast of Beyond the Flock Media, where company owner Chris Dolan and media professional Christina Yanata engage in dialogues about the creative process, their love of films, and making your entrepreneurial ambitions a reality. Often we are joined by guests who consist of both clients of Beyond the Flock Media's services as well as collaborators who have worked with Chris or Christina. The conversation is free-flowing, starting with an exploration of the guests' history and inspirations, and then we flock out to who knows where. Today's guest is Bill Blanchett, a graduate of Emerson and a creative professional who has composed scores for film, been in multiple local bands, and worked with various startups. His creativity knows no bounds, as he not only has an interest in music, but in web design, app development, and, well, pretty much everything. Probably Chris's oldest friend, we are obliged to welcome Bill Blanchett to the show. Hi, Bill. How are you today? Hey, good. Very flattered to be here. So um, we'll just uh, jump right into it. Um, how did you get to where you are today? Like, did you, is this, um, was this always your dream? Did anything change from then to now? How how did you get to where you are today? We want the long version, right? Because uh, yeah, the format, yeah. We want your story, Bill. There, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm the living embodiment of the John Lennon quote, the old quote, "Life is what happens when you're busy making plans." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I graduated from Emerson. I I uh, like you said, I studied film for sound for film and TV. And um, before I even graduated, I had already figured out that I didn't want to actually work in that industry. So um, while I was there, I was producing a lot of projects um, and having a lot of fun just uh, leading productions, basically. So right when I graduated, I um, basically left that track and went into tried to get into a production track. So I was working as a PA um, production assistant for a company in Los Angeles in Burbank that does um, comedy specials. So I worked for, I worked on a couple of really cool ones um, like Louis CK. There were a couple, there was one where we had to, um, there was a lion involved so we had to get all the logistics for a lion so there was like a lion cage oh that's that fun to, yeah it was pretty wild um quite literally so, yeah so i did that for a while ultimately um you know i think it's part of my personality to just like i'm very much a risk taker i'm and i'm totally fine with that um the it's just kind of part of my DNA, I guess, is it's like, you know, I get really excited about projects and I'm very willing to, to bet big on whatever I'm working on. But I was writing a really cool script that had a lot to do with like mental, um, uh, mental disorders. It was all about uh, bipolar disease um, or not disease, but just like uh, being bipolar. Yeah, disorder. Um, so that was an amazing project. And I was working with some uh, phenomenal um, people doing that. The first draft of the script was written in seven days. Um, they were basically like, oh. can you do this? And I was like, 
I love this. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> and we did it in seven days. And so we had uh, like an initial team lined up. And because everything was just coming together and clicking, I was like, oh, man, this is this is the one. This is happening. But yeah, I bet the farm and that project went belly up. And I was broke and I didn't have any more uh, pipeline for new work. So I, I was done. I was toast. I came home from LA. I drove back. I had driven across country to get to LA and I drove back across country to come live with my parents. But then from there, um, you know, I took the first job that I could intern at like a digital marketing agency. Uh, and then from there, I just kind of learned, um, uh, like code chops, you know, JavaScript. Mm -hmm. yep. That's how I started. And from there, I've just kind of um, been on a wild ride of of um, being a software engineer. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, I like it a lot. Um, architecture is a really fun thing for me. Um, and... Yeah, and the the people are phenomenal. I think if the people weren't phenomenal, I would just be like, you know, it's not worth it. I'm just gonna try and figure something else out. But you know, and I think it's true no matter what you do. At a certain point, you'll always kind of, you know, assuming that <laughs> assuming that you're like um, an affable person that like, you know, you like to 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 engage people and and whatnot. I think you 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 will attract, you know, like law of attraction. I don't know if you guys believe that, but like if you put good vibes out, you'll get good vibes back. Mm -hmm. um, to a certain point, I think that's true for your career too. You'll, uh, if you're a good person, you'll find yourself surrounded by good people. Um, mm. So what made you choose software engineer? Was there any real thinking behind that or was it something that you kind of always had an interest in? Um, or how did that, come to fruition yeah totally I definitely always had an interest um I always knew I'd be good at it in math in school it was always like you know I was good at math and then I was good at mm -hmm. um yeah you know well I, di I didn't actually find out I was creative until pretty late in life but um well music yeah I mean we so it was always those two things for me like school was very much like okay you're good at music uh I mean you're good at um math like, so I was like, okay, if I ever need to like code or something, that's probably gonna be fine. Um, mm. So that was kind of like the plan B all along. Um, we'll, okay. we'll say that now. Well, so you had a backup. Well, yeah, I totally had a backup plan this yeah. whole time. <laughs> totally according to plan. Yeah. You know. uh, Bill, but I mean, you're talking so much about working with people. I mean, when, when did you know that, that you liked doing that? You liked just, you know, synergizing with people, um, you know, being in the same room and bouncing ideas off each other was like, there's this, this one moment, moment that was like, aha, like when you were younger. Yeah. They're not, well, when I was younger, for sure. But I think the most crystallized moments were actually in, in college for me where, um, you know, Emerson is kind of like a, a really cool school because everyone there is very passionate and they're all kind of working on uh, projects they care about after school. Like kind of the real school at Emerson is what happens after classes. So for me, that was like a real like 
crystallized lesson in, in motivation. It's like, why are these people doing this? And would they do the same thing for my projects? And it's like, um, yeah, you know, if you, there are so many things that factor into it, like, you know, um, like one of the major things that I uncovered was like, what's, so like, there's a story that you're telling through the script if it's fiction, if it's nonfiction, it's whatever story you're capturing in the world. But there's also the story of the production itself. So like um, one of the projects I did in school was we were documenting Occupy Boston, which was going on at the time. And people wanted to be part of that. People were really excited about helping tell the story of students struggling with student debt. I mean, that how much closer to home can you hit for a college student, you know? Um, so it was like, that was a real lesson for me where, you know, even if you're not offering money, even if you're not, um, you know, paying people or, or there are still ways to get people stoked about what you're doing. And, um, you know, some of it can be a personality thing, like people just want to be where the energy is. And, and um, you know, if you bring that, some people activate just on that, but at a deeper level, if you have some sort of like moral high ground, then people are, people will go above and beyond, um, which was really cool for me. I definitely hadn't seen that before. And it, it kind of activated me in terms of, you know, being a, a leader of production and, and uh, you know, leading a group effort kind of thing. So um, I want to um, shift gears a little bit. And so we've been talking about, um, uh, college, um, music. And so that shift to software engineers is a, is a pretty big shift. I know that you mentioned that math, um, was always, um, you know, something that you were pretty good at, but, um, how, like, how exactly did you get into software engineering? Because with M from, cause with your education from Emerson, that's, more of you know the creative side of things so how did you get into that like what did you take classes or did you you know learn it on your own how did, how did you go about doing that so i was basically just hunting for a new job and the first thing that came up was uh, an internship at a digital marketing agency um, mm. that had a, a good chance of turning over into a, a job so i was like okay cool great um you know I'm, I'm pretty good with all the creative software i can figure things out mm -hmm. um Great. So I'll do that. And I worked as a, on the account management team there, which is basically like the bridge between um, clients and the marketing agency. It, it was kind of easy in the beginning because it was really small tickets. Um, but I would I would go and bug the crap out of the developers and be like, hey, I wrote this thing. What's wrong with it? It's or like, you know, basically just ask them to tear it apart. Yeah. Um, and so I was. I had, yeah, so I had the access to the developers to tell me what I was doing poorly. And I mm -hmm. had the kind of the stream of small project type things that I could work on um, through this client. And for me, that was kind of the magic formula for like, you know, um, practical learning, mm -hmm. you know, learning on the job like that was very motivating for me that puts bread on the table so I can work on other projects. And that's kind of the, the thinking behind it mm -hmm. in the longer term. 
of, of you know, like incorporating creative projects and stuff um, because I'm still writing, I'm still making music, um, still very much uh, excited about those sorts of projects. Mm -hmm. um, and Bill, you've worked with, um, uh, I mean, a couple of different startups, right? I mean, some of these were software and some of these actually, I don't know if they were production, but um, you've worked with a lot of people trying to actually, you know, start their own businesses. Um, can you speak about, I don't know, like what, what you observed about their experience and how they actually got, you know, something like an initiative off the ground? Yeah, totally. The, um, so I, yeah, I've done, um, a couple startups. So for me, when I was in college, um, you know, I ran like a little video outlet uh, and it just kind of was born from an opportunity where somebody approached me and they were like, Hey, I have a company that needs uh, video. We do these video games and we need to like try and sell the video games. So I was like, sick. That sounds like a lot of fun. Let's try and do that. Um, so we did these like documentary little snippets about, the staff and what they were trying to accomplish and, and the stories of their games and stuff and put those on YouTube. Um, and that was awesome. You know, I didn't know anything about business at the time or like how to go about anything like that. So I was like, great, I have, I have a client, like I'll put all this stuff together. We'll do this. And I brought in somebody to partner with me who was a cameraman and, and stuff. And then I took care of the logistics and kind of managing, um, the stuff and you know all that stuff and so we basically just were like oh yeah we'll split it 50 50 um and it was uh and it was great and we did it and then it was over <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not how you run a business you know you no. need like a, a pipeline of new work and you mm -hmm. need kind of an engine um to kind of keep keep the wheels on the car what have you noticed about companies um i guess doing that like uh you know keeping the pipeline going i uh, i mean are they are they going beyond just using social media because i know social media is a big component to that these days but like what do you see companies doing to try to you know get people in the door oh totally yeah so there's um it's like one way to think about it is there's like marketing and then there's sales um marketing is historically marketing is about kind of like um, bringing people in. Uh, and if we want to get really businessy, we can talk about the funnel. <laughs> There's a sales funnel. You, you see? Oh, the, uh, no, we're not going to talk like that. But the um, so, so marketing you can, is kind of about yeah. <laughs> no, marketing is like you know making it known. Whatever you do, whoever you are, like educating people that that you're there and you're providing a service. Um, and then sales is, is like, is about closing. It's like, we've identified this person who needs your, your help now go convince them to sign on the dotted line. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of like new age thinking around how marketing can cooperate with sales um, that I'm learning firsthand in startups, which is really cool. Yeah. Sales is important and you can't have a business if it's not, um, making money if it's not making money it's not a business um and by making money i mean like it doesn't have to be uber profitable it just has to you know it has to support you um if you're going to rely on it then it has to support you um fast forwarding to today but what are you what are you working on like now bill like what's what's in the pipeline and the 
the bill train now. <laughs> the bill train. <laughs> yeah, so I've been working on um, a book, really cool book. Uh, the the hype pitch is it's Harry Potter in space. Oh wow! Uh, taking down a evil drug lord. So that's oh. like the yeah, plenty of zing, right? I've been working Not on the that last one. story I heard um, you were writing. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, it is that one. The um, yeah. so it's basically about a kid. Oh, it is okay. Yeah, whose world kind of falls apart. Uh, he lives in this kind of futuristic world on another planet um, with magic, and he has to kind of find his way and figure out where he belongs in the world after his world falls apart. Wow. <laughs> Period. <laughs> uh, um, is your writing style, I doubt your writing style is like this. It, it seems like it's more longer, but is, are, do you ever, are you ever like Philip K. Dick, like you lock yourself in a room for two days and then just finish like a, a huge section of the book? <laughs> yeah. This is my, this is my greatest problem is that like, I really want to write the epic fantasy, mm. but as a writer, that's a lot of, that's a lot to write. Yeah. And so that, that takes years. And I, I don't know. We'll see if I'm built to do that. I would much yeah. rather sit in a room for a weekend, bust out a story and be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have seen, that closure. Um, <laughs> I had seen a video recently about, um, and you might have seen this too, Bill. It was about, um, who's the guy that wrote Game of Thrones? Do you know his name? Yeah, George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, jo jo George and... Um, Stephen King sat down to talk about their writing style. Oh yeah, I saw that. It was yeah. so good. The comments yeah. also in that video are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, 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 I've never read them. Oh That's my awesome. gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> I I thought it was interesting. It's uh, when you compare their styles. Um, Stephen mm -hmm. King, he's very regimented uh, in oh. terms of what he does. Like it, it's day to day that he's writing, but uh, George. You know, it's it's more like he's just you know going with his emotions. You know, it's like today's not a good day. <laughs> like need to step away, come back. Um, you know, to to each his own and stuff. Um, but it, I, I guess it's like, are are you? Do you feel more inclined one way or the other? Do you feel like you need a lot of structure, Bill, or do you feel like you need to go structureless? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. The um, Brandon Sanderson calls them uh, discovery writers and outliners. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely more of a discovery uh, and I'm terrible at outlining, but I have to do it because otherwise the book would never get written. <laughs> I think one thing I'd like to ask you about, Bill, is um, just composing scores. Um, mm, you're really good yeah. at it. Um, <laughs> I, you, go. you know, uh, can, can you talk about that experience a little? Like, um, you know, do ideas just come to you? Like, where's the impetus? Is it just from working with people that you, you figure out how to do a film, you know? Sure. Yeah. Film is, film is fascinating. The, it's such a collaborative medium and I think every role is the same in that way on a, on a film project. Um, film score is really fun though, because it's collaborative, but you also have so much uh, influence over a viewer's experience of film. Um, you know, Steven Spielberg always calls it kind of the, um, the invisible actor, the, because a, a film score, a piece of music can do so much to steer you towards feeling something or um, subtly shape the feelings that you already have about what's happening and just nudge it just a little bit into 
a particular direction. For me, film scores are more about kind of trying to understand the director and basically channel their vision through, um, you know, whatever uh, musical chops or whatever, you know, pieces of music, trying to achieve what they're what they're going for. Um, and that's a really energizing problem for me because it's, you know, I can kind of forget myself and, you know, let the ego go away and just kind of um, try and get tune in to whatever we're trying to do, which can be good. It can be frustrating too, but it can be really rewarding um, having that sort of experience. Do you find you're kind of attracted to like any kind of soundscape or, I mean, do you tend to kind of um, gravitate towards certain instruments, um, certain, um, you know, I don't know, even pitches? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The So I think something really important for the work that I do is to not have it sound digital, to be okay. as analog as possible, and also um, trying to find a sound for the, for the piece. Like, um, you know, sometimes you can have a lot of fun with that. So like I have a few bass guitars um, and for one project that I did, we were trying to find, I was basically like, so the main character is gonna have an instrument and what instrument is that? And I played all this stuff and tried to work with the director to find something. And after talking about her personality and the favorite music that she would like and all, you know, all that, all that kind of like nonsense stuff, ultimately super fluffy, but ultimately really helpful and just kind of crystallizing everything. But um, it was a bass guitar. And so like, and she's kind of like a, an edgy gothic figure who, you know, has a lot of family issues and, and potentially some mental health issues. So it was like fuzz bass <laughs> was ultimately <laughs> the right choice for her. And that was really fun to find out. Um, and, you know, in terms of soundscapes, the, you have so much freedom there that it totally depends on, um, it's almost helpful to just think about the, the ingredients to the, to the whole thing, you know, like what, what sounds are appropriate for this project. That's oftentimes the hardest part because in, in doing that, you, you're setting the, the baseline for the whole feeling of the movie and you're setting, um, you know, you're making so many decisions early. And ultimately, as you go on, you spend like all this time in research. And then kind of as you get towards the point where you're actually writing music, the piece is just like, if you did everything right, the pieces are just like flying out. Mm. Um, because you have such a limited, like limiting the choices that you have ultimately makes it easier to, um, to come up with things because you're not on a blank canvas anymore. Do, do you have like a, I don't know, favorite composer? <laughs> Or somebody that inspires yeah. and used to inspire you all the time, like, yeah. Yes, totally. Alexander Desplat, he's my guy. There you go. He drinks a lot of green tea and he <laughs> uh, he does a good job on everything he does. <laughs> yeah, I like him. Is, is, is there anything you can describe about his approach or what his music embodies that um, you're attracted to or inspires you? Totally. Yeah, he's very... So some projects he does, he kind of has to hold back. Um, I feel like he's very melodic when he really lets go. He's very melodic. 
Um, like one of his famous pieces for the imitation game is a whole bunch of arpeggios. Um, like in that, I'm pretty sure he won something for that. The, but um, but yeah, he's he's kind of like film score nowadays is so minimal and it's all about soundscapes and kind of like a, an atmosphere more than kind of melodies and motifs and stuff mm. like that. But I think he does a good job of, of bringing those things in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why they picked him for Harry Potter because obviously that was John Williams before. So it takes somebody kind of with that same, with that approach. I, I can see what you mean though, that today's scores, um, they're more, they're more soundscapes. Uh, you're right. And it's more like they're part of the atmosphere of the film, but you go back to like the fifties or something and um, films are definitely more melodramatic, which I actually happen to like almost more than current, current day. I mean, I remember films like, um, like on the waterfronts, like the score for that film, it's so over the top and melodramatic, but there's something about it. Like it's, it kind of sticks with you. And for some people, I think they're like, well, that's telling the story too much. And for other people, it's like it, um, it's actually helping the story, you know, yeah. um, depending on, you know, I, I mean, there's different approaches, but I can see what you're saying. Music has kind of, everybody's kind of trying to do something very specific these days with it. And it's like, I don't know, maybe there, I have a nostalgia for a desire for hearing that kind of old stuff again. I mean, even Star Wars is kind of what I'm talking about. It's highly orchestrated. It's melodic. It kind of sits beside the film rather than tries to like, you know, embedded in its veins and stuff. Not to say I don't like that. Like, um, I know there's one film I like that you don't personally like or don't really want to watch the whole film. <laughs> the film Antichrist. Yeah, of course. It's a really good example of a film that uses music as an atmosphere, but it, it goes beyond going below your skin. I mean, you get kind of traumatized after you watch the film. And it comes down to, is it helping the film? Is it, you know, whatever technique you're using, or are you just trying to be cool? You know, there's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. you're right. For me, that's one of the coolest parts about film yeah. score is it's like you're using music to do something. Yes. Like yeah. that, <laughs> just writing music, you're not really trying to, I mean, you, if you bring that yourself, then, then you can have that. But for, as a film, it's kind of baked in. Every piece of music has to do something very specific mm. um, and like meticulously specific. Like you can be off by a little bit and it's not right. And you have to figure that out and kind of tune it back in, which is a really fun exercise. Is playing music like locally something you're looking to go back to ever? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, this past year I was focusing my efforts on a book, just trying yeah. to like get things done. Um, so I haven't played much music this year, but the uh, musical never go away, you know? Yeah. No, I can't. I, I feel like if you try to make your creativity go away, um, it's going to come back and it's going to come back with claws. <laughs> oh, totally. Because it wants, it's, it wants to exist, you know? That, that is true. <laughs> it's like the old, I don't know if people still like talk about Freudian stuff, but it's like the old Freudian, like backed up plumbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess something we can ask because it was only released, you know, pretty recently within the last two weeks. Um, uh, Bloom, uh, I don't know if you want you want to talk about working on that project. No, that was a that was a fun yeah. project. The yeah. probably the most um, 
invigorating part for me was that there was no script. Yeah. So the um, there was a lot of opportunity to kind of like steer the direction of the um, of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, to, we um, you know I was able to collaborate as a storyteller and be like, you know, I think if we did this with the music, then you could do X Y Z with the with the visuals. Um, you know, because there was almost like a um, you had all these scenes and all these moments, and you had all the the rough outline of a story. And so from there, we basically like tightened up around. So there was like a really cool piece of music that we did for this, where yeah. it kind of stemmed out of the a larger theme in the film that was expressed visually around clocks. Um, so okay. I was able to really, really take that and run with it, where there's a whole sequence of music um, that starts off with like this guitar, um, like a very rhythmic guitar piece, and then like the visuals introduce this clock and for a while there's like a ticking of the clock and so i was able to take that and obviously you know this isn't like um isn't something i invented like people have done this before but take that and incorporate it into the music so and i did it in a way where you kind of skip a beat so that was cool it was a little bit like um of a pop which was fun something about existential about time and that there's only so much in your lifetime i guess is to say um and the film i think really digs into that you know that kind of ticking um and these characters i think are kind of burdened with their sense of purpose and potential to the extent that they feel like their time towards their like imminent death is ticking you know that they're gonna waste away if they don't reach their potential and um, I'm not saying that people should have that type of attitude, but it does exist in America. I think this type of uh, mentality towards I have to achieve something now, you know, like um, I have so little time, like my life's going to waste away. So I don't know. I, I, I put it in the film, I think, just for people to see it. And I think it's like, something we all have to contend with and decide for ourselves. It's like, is it, is it healthy to like, I don't know observe or perceive reality like this you know should you have more compassion for time like maybe live in each second (laughs) a little more um which the film doesn't necessarily take that stance it's trying to have compassion just for people that i think are you know having a difficult time and feel lost and um, i'm allowing you just to go there these these people don't get their problem solved i'll tell you that like that's not that type of film if you want to watch that type of film watch another film (laughs) yeah it was it was really it was a very interesting challenge to take something like existential boredom and then be like how do i make music that people enjoy (laughs) yeah that isn't ultimately existentially boring it communicates those ideas but it 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 like it pulls you in (laughs) i think in, in terms of what i'm trying to do with film is what you're trying to do with music where you're trying to have the music work whatever way it has to 
um, to enhance the story. I'm trying to do that with the filmmaking itself. It's uh, whatever technique it's going to yeah. take to enhance the story. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's yeah. phenomenal. Like everything serves the story. Yeah. Like if it's not serving the story, then you have to kind of get out. It's going to call attention to itself, you know, and, it, and probably <laughs> in a bad way, either in a bad way because it detracts or in a bad way because it's distracting. I mean, it's kind of like the... You know, you're in the in the guts of a story, and then you have this crazy action sequence. You know, like yeah. is this? It's a classic thing with action sequences, where you're like, "What's the point of this action sequence? Are we just getting people's adrenaline up, or are they trying to move some part of the plot forward? Or you know, like, mm-hmm. like why is this thing here? Is it serving the story?" Bill, it's it's been great talking to you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we should continue working together, man. We'd love to have you back too to talk and stuff. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I uh, I had a ball. Thank you guys. Great meeting you, Christina. Yeah, it was nice meeting you too. Thank you for listening. For more information about Beyond the Flock Media, check out our website, beyondtheflockmedia.com. Or you can catch the latest news and updates on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. Until we meet again, don't forget to flock out.